Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to a Cinematic Universe Megasode, the podcast that's all about comic book movies which you can find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm your host Joe Cunningham and I'll be bringing you a truncated, or maybe this week not so truncated version of the show, to bridge the gap between our Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 episodes and our X-Men 2 episode. I'll be giving you my reactions to the comics that Seven James recommended on the last two podcasts. Um, so from our Avengers podcast, those are The Ultimates um, and Astonishing X-Men Volume 1. Um, and then from our Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 podcast, we've got the Maximum Security crossover as well as Rocket Raccoon. But before any of that, <laughs> and there's going to be a lot, let's take a look at some of the comic book movie and TV news that has broken over the past couple of weeks. Um, Now, it's going to be pretty TV-heavy this week because there is a lot of TV stuff that's happening. Um, But we'll start off with the brief couple of bits of movie news. Um, And there's one that is um, really the most interesting, and that is Hellboy. Um, So we are getting a new Hellboy film. And um, as recently as about a month ago, that sounded very improbable because Guillermo del Toro said that he was meeting with Ron Perlman and Mike Mignola to talk about the possibility of Hellboy 3. Um, Apparently they met and decided it wasn't going to happen and went on their way. And we kind of assumed that that was it for Hellboy movies. Um, But that's not what's happening. Because instead of a Hellboy 3, we are going to get a reboot of the franchise. Um, Neil Marshall is expected to direct. Now, most recently, Neil Marshall has been best known for directing some episodes of Game of Thrones. um, But he's directed films like uh, Dog Soldiers and The Descent. um, And is um, a pretty accomplished horror director. Um, apparently this movie is going to have a more of a horror vibe than the previous Hellboy films and it's going to be R-rated. And the star stepping into Ron Perlman's shoes is David Harbour, who we have been talking about as a potential cable um, before Josh Brolin was cast. Um, I'm not quite sure how to feel about this news. Um, I'm not like a massive Hellboy fan or anything. I would have liked to have seen uh, the conclusion of the... Uh, original Hellboy trilogy with Del Toro and Pillman. Um However, I like Neil Marshall, I like David Harbour, and I think ultimately I trust Mike Mignola has the... I trust he has the kind of the, the right instincts for what to do with his character and certainly the best intentions. So um, 
yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see whether whether this is a good idea or a bad one. Um, I just think it's a shame that we won't see the conclusion of that trilogy uh, before we go in this direction. Um, so, yeah, that is the Hellboy reboot, which um, is now coming, but with a different director and a different star. Um, the only other movie news is that we got the final trailer for Wonder Woman. Uh, now, this is a film that um, increasingly online people have been suggesting hasn't been getting quite the marketing push um, that it deserves or it was expected or uh, is in line with some of the other DC properties. Um, I can't say that I had noticed that being a thing um, other than that maybe the trailers weren't as eye-catching as Suicide Squad's trailers. And I, I don't know, it's hard to compare to uh, Batman v Superman. Uh, and so I'm, I'm not sure. There might be some truth in it. There might not be. Um, this is the final trailer. This is the one that's going to be playing in cinemas between now and when the movie um, debuts in um, not too long now. Just, I think, less than a month. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was really good. Like, the best we've seen of the film so far. Um, and... Um, I'm I'm really hopeful for this movie. I really hope that this is where DC turns it around and gives us a character um, who uh, we we can kind of grasp onto and uh, go. Oh yeah, there we go. That's that's like the that's the Tony Stark or the Steve Rogers of the DC universe. That's the character we want to uh, we can anchor ourselves to as this uh, franchise progresses. And then obviously, just from a a female superhero point of view, I and a female and you know female led blockbuster point of view in general, and blockbuster directed by a woman. You would like for this film to succeed, so it isn't used as an excuse to not make these kinds of films in the future. Um, that would be the biggest travesty of all of this. Um, so fingers crossed for Wonder Woman. But I thought this last trailer was really good, and um, hopefully the audiences show up for it when it um, when it arrives in a few weeks' time. Okay, um, we'll move over to the TV side of things now, and um, the first uh, the first bit, we'll stick with trailers. There was a teaser trailer for The Defenders, so obviously this is the Netflix series that's bringing together um, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist. Uh, we also, obviously, Claire Temple's going to be showing up. We saw Elektra in the trailer. We saw Sigourney Weaver's villain, who's increasingly looking like she's going to be the leader of the hand, um, but we, we're, still, we're still not sure in that. Um, the trailer has um, a few jokes at Danny Rand's expense. Um, I thought that the chemistry between uh, Jessica Jones and Matt Murdock was really strong, and uh, we already know that Luke Cage works well with Jessica Jones. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing all of these characters bounce off each other in that show. Um, there's a there's a corridor fight, and um, there is a great joke about Jessica Jones's scarf. Um, so I was um, I was uh, re- really pleased with the first look at that show, and. Um, yeah, I, I hopefully it will reverse the trend for me of uh, liking every Marvel Netflix series less than the one that came before it. Hopefully that will buck that trend. At this point, I don't see the Defenders being worse than Iron Fist, but who knows? Okay, uh, we'll move over to the broadcast networks now, um, and there are lots of TV renewals and cancellations and new series orders going on at the moment. It's that time of year for the um, TV networks in the US. Um some of this information may no longer be up to date by the time you're listening to this podcast um, because things move pretty fast in this week. So I'll give you the information as I have it right now. Um, most of the stuff is confirmed. There's a couple of shows that we're still waiting to hear on the Phaeton. 
Uh, we'll start with the CW stuff. Uh, we already knew that Supergirl, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Arrow, and also Riverdale uh, were all returning. Um, the CW has also uh, picked up iZombie for another season. So if that's a, a show that you're watching, um, then good news, that's back as well. Um, the CW has, all, has also ordered the Black Lightning series. Um, so that means that Black Lightning will be on the CW. It was developed with Fox to begin with. Um, it's now on the CW with all of those other shows. And while it was kind of intimated early on that this show would not cross over with the other DC properties, I would find it hard to believe that they will have one show on the networks that's not crossing over with the others um, and all of the rest getting to play with each other. I think Black Lightning will be a character we'll see cross over with the other DC shows next year. Uh, so Black Lightning's happening. That's a, that's a good thing. Um over on Fox, Gotham has been renewed. Great for people who are still watching Gotham, I guess. Um, if you're still watching Lucifer, that's still on the air, apparently. And I said I'd never mention it again, but Krypton has been ordered. Uh, a series has been ordered by Sci-Fi. Um, a show that we are not certain on yet at time of recording is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, that show is uh, most definitely still on the bubble, as it has been for the last couple of years at this time of year. Um, I read an excellent uh, website called TV by the Numbers that has like a renewal cancellation index for all of the shows, and it gave Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. a 60% chance of renewal. Uh, so we're expecting probably it to be coming back, but there's been some weird decisions, some unexpected cancellations and renewals already uh, from some of the networks for some of the non-superhero-related shows, so there is a chance that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will disappear. Um, obviously, we've got some other uh, comic book, uh, sh- uh, some other Marvel Cinematic Universe TV shows coming to ABC and its affiliates. We've got the Inhuman Show, and we've got uh, Cloak and Dagger coming to Freeform. So there are different shows coming. So it it wouldn't be a su- it would be less of a surprise this year for Marvel to get out of the Agents of Shield business, given that they've got Marvel replacements coming down the pipeline. Uh, we will get to Inhumans at the end of this. Breaking news alert! This is Joe uh, mid edit of this podcast. Yes, I edit the mini-sodes and mega-sodes as well to edit out the stupid stuff I say. Um, Twitter says that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has been renewed for Season 5, um, so if you were um, hanging on every word for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for Season 5, it's happening, and ignore everything I just said. Um, back to the present. Also on uh, Fox, uh, Gifted, uh, that's the X-Men show directed by Brian Singer. We knew that that show had been ordered to series, um, but there has been a teaser trailer released this week, and um, apparently we're getting a full trailer for the show on Sunday, so that's something to look forward to. Uh, we might um, be discussing that on our next podcast. Um, we've now found out that the family, the main family, the Stephen Moyer, Amy Acker family in the show are uh, have the surname Strucker. So whether that's going to have any uh, connections to Hydra and the Von Strucker characters that we know from the comics and from... Um, the MCU, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I would say probably not, but it seems like an odd name choice um, to go with, g- given the obvious connections that uh, comic book fans are going to make. Um, uh, and But there's, you know, you can't rule it out because the Marvel and Fox are kind of collaborating on their TV stuff now, so it, it might be that Marvel has allowed certain Hydra elements to be used in that show. Uh, I, again, I, I can't imagine why they would, but let's not rule it out um the mutant characters that we know are going to be appearing are eclipse blink polaris and thunderbird they're all the named mutant characters um who have been confirmed on the show uh so yeah hopefully we'll be able to see a bit more of all of those once the trailer is released on sunday um over to uh the 
cable networks now, and Donald Glover is producing a Deadpool animated series for FFX, uh, for FXX. Um, that is the sister network of FX and Fox. Uh, I think it's where It's Always Sunny airs and where The League used to air. Um, Donald Glover, after starring with Zazie Beats in Atlanta, now Zazie Beats is in Deadpool 2 and he is producing a Deadpool animated series. Um, apparently we're going to get 10 episodes of that show in 2018 and um, animated Deadpool, it seems like that character should exist in a cartoon universe anyway, so that sounds great. And Donald Glover being involved. Uh, I mean, Donald Glover wrote 30 Rock uh, was amazing on Community, wrote Atlanta, which is incredible. Um, yeah, Don- Donald Glover doing a Deadpool comedy is something that I will watch. Um, I think I'm more excited about the Donald Gloverness of that than I am about the Deadpoolness. But yes, Deadpool animated series on F- FXX. God, I'm struggling with that. In 2018. Um, I think if uh, Seven James are listening back to this podcast, they'll probably be stunned that I've taken this long to get to this TV news. Um, because Judge Dredd is coming to TV. Uh, Entertainment Weekly reported this week that Judge Dredd Mega City 1 uh, is a TV show that is in development. And we don't know an awful lot more about it yet, other than the idea is that it would be a show with Judge Dredd as the lead character, but that we would also get to see more of the city, uh, that it would be more of a kind of ensemble like city as a character kind of thing with um the satire put back in to the uh to the concept uh the producers said something about how like they felt like the the two film versions had lacked the satire and that was something that they were going to try and put back into it so expect it to be kind of equal parts light and dark and that there will be jokes and there will be a satirical uh streak running through there um it's very early in development, but the kind of the big announcement of this was in Entertainment Weekly and was drummed up as if it was something that there was serious backers and investors making sure that this was going to happen. Um, so we'll have to uh, pay a bit more attention to that, but I think that'll be something that Seven James and I will be discussing on our main episode next week. Um, last couple of bits of TV news. The Tick, which is a show I'm very much looking forward to, is premiering on August 25th. Um, that's an Amazon Prime show. Uh, so if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, you'll be able to watch that. And um, I mean, certainly in the UK, I I think Amazon Prime is becoming near essential. Uh, American Gods and The Handmaid's Tale are on there right now. If you're a UK uh, TV watcher and The Tick coming later in the year, um, I would, uh, yeah, I'd recommend getting signed up to that Amazon Prime. They, they'll send you your DVDs for free as well. Uh, free delivery next day. Um, Amazon, if you're looking for a podcast to sponsor, you found one right here. Um, and then finally, uh, God, I had to leave this one to last because uh, it is just incredible, isn't it? The Inhumans, the TV show that is supposedly going to debut its first couple of episodes on an IMAX TV screen, unveiled the first picture of its cast and it is jaw-droppingly terrible. Um, I think uh, Medusa, uh, played by Surinder Swan, is probably the character that will get the uh, the most laughs in this purple outfit with this horrible, uh, very obvious, like, red ginger wig. Um, Anson Mount as Black Bolt looks like he's halfway between biker and BDSM gear in this uh, leather Black Bolt outfit with a very serious and dour look in his face and just the whole look of the team together looks very budget looks 
I, I don't know. Just you, you look at it and go, "Wow, no wonder they didn't want to make this into a movie." Um, Inhumans, of course, is being show run by Scott Buck, who also run, ran Iron Fist, so that is not exactly a uh, ringing endorsement for the show. And yeah, after seeing this first image and knowing everything else, uh, any hope I had for this project has kind of been sapped. And I can't believe that those costumes are going to be showing up on a big IMAX screen. Um, the show is going to be taking place primarily in Hawaii and is going to be kind of like a, uh, I think, a traditional take on the Inhumans royal family, which is kind of infighting and uh, betrayal and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure they're going for a kind of Game of Thrones meets Marvel vibe. Uh, but wow, honestly, this image, if you haven't seen it, you must Google it immediately, but I imagine everyone who's listening to this probably has seen it and laughed, um, an equal amount to what I did when I first saw it. Um, so yeah, the Inhumans, I think that's turning up on IMAX screens in either August or September before it goes to ABC and, um, yeah. Okay, uh, we'll move on now to this week's comic book recommendations. Okay, I'm just going to open up my Marvel Unlimited app on the iPad because this is what I've been glued to for the past two or three weeks, uh, working my way through all of these comics. Um, And I think we'll start off with the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 recommendations because I think there's probably a little bit less to talk about um, with those. Um, I think I'm going to want to dig into the Avengers ones a little bit more. Um, But spoiler alert, four comics this week that I enjoyed all of them to um, a various extent. Uh, We'll start off with Maximum Security, uh, which was uh, recommended by James. uh, And for the primary reason that it's a Marvel big kind of comics crossover that features Ego, the living planet. Um, uh, So I didn't read all of the tie-ins to this. What I basically read was there is a kind of tee-up issue called Maximum Security Dangerous Planet Number 1. Um, and then there is a three-issue Maximum Security crossover event. Um, there's lots of tie-ins, uh, not quite as many as you'd get in a, in a current Marvel crossover event, but there's a bunch of those as well, uh, which I didn't read, but didn't really feel massively essential. Um, I think the the best issue is actually this Dangerous Planet one that tees everything up. Um, it's all very cosmic. There's not many characters that we that that are like very recognisable, familiar Marvel um, that show up. Uh, Professor X is in there, but otherwise it's kind of like uh, there's Lalandra, the Shi'ar uh, leader, and then there's lots of scrolls. and there's a new race called the, I think they're called the Cool. Um, uh, and there's, and there's, uh, <laughs> there is a team of Skrulls uh, who are led by uh, Professor X because they are mutant Skrulls. Um, and I think they're called Cadre K, uh, the the team the team that they uh, that they work on together. Um, but basically, this the the first issue starts, and it's actually a great uh, a great kind of tie into the recommendation on the last podcast from James, the uh, trial of Galactus, trial of Reed Richards issues, uh, because it's basically that same kind of intergalactic council, but this time they are talking about uh, the way that humans keep interfering with the rest of the universe and the way that people from earth and it, like even in humans and thor and the x-men and there's various like there's a uh, there's various members on different kind of teams that travel around the galaxy 
Uh, I think they mentioned Quasar and characters like that, who are basically going around and interfering with things that they don't necessarily need to be interfering in. And sure, sometimes they do good, but sometimes they don't do good, and sometimes they're responsible for bad stuff. And they want to uh, put humanity on trial, basically, and put them to death. As that's happening, Ego the Living Planet attacks um, and wipes out this world. Um, And what basically happens is um, a lot of space adventuring mixed with all of these uh, alien races debating what should happen to humanity. And they basically decide, uh, I think Professor X and this Cadre K try and get involved to stop Ego. And they do manage to kind of uh, incapacitate him. but what everyone decides is that humanity is guilty and that this is further proof of it and um, they're going to punish humanity in some way. Um, but these this new alien race that have turned up um, who are just kind of entering into this council for the first time say, hey, we've got a better idea of what to do. And that's what leads into the big crossover. Uh, so basically what they decide to do is turn Earth into a prison planet and send all of the worst kind of other aliens from the rest of the galaxy to Earth um, and just turn Earth into a prison. And so the the Marvel heroes who live on Earth are going to have to uh, fight these kind of evil aliens that turn up. Um, but the best they can do is kind of keep them down there and live with them. And they're just going to keep turning up and keep turning up and keep turning up. Um, and Ronan the Accuser, so there is another Guardians of the Galaxy tie in there, is sent to Earth to kind of watch over them and as like the uh, as like the warden. Um, what becomes clear though is that there is one kind of secret extra uh, thing that is sent to Earth, and that is Ego, who's been kind of reconstituted into baby form and sent to Earth, except he's not quite stable, and he starts to expand and slowly take over the earth um and he is going to basically uh not really in a malevolent way but just in a clingy to life kind of way slowly take over the earth and kind of absorb it and eventually earth will become all of ego now that's not the plan of the intergalactic council but it turns out that they are being manipulated and it is um it's ronin and it's the kree and it's a character called the supreme intelligence uh who i don't really know uh is like a big angry head with like tentacles and um he seems Cree connected and uh seems like a pretty bad dude um and basically all the marvel heroes have to kind of first of all figure out what's going on and then second of all kind of try and defeat the bad guys and prove to the intergalactic council what's i I don't think that's their actual name by the way that's just what i keep calling them um prove to the council that they are uh that this evil plan has been going on um and it basically involves this guy called the US Agent, who is this kind of uh, real arsehole, kind of uh, wouldn't be out of place in the Ultimates um, version of a Captain America, who is uh, a bit of a dick, works for the government, and uh, doesn't like the rest of the superheroes, um, has some past, I think, with being like a stand-in Captain America or something like that, uh, but seems to have a grudge against everyone else, but is kind of forced to team up with the uh, the rest of the Avengers and the Fantastic Four, and basically, there are, like every, every hero that you can think of for Marvel uh, turns up at some point here, um, uh, and is involved in some way with either trying to stop Ego from expanding or taking down Ronan and the Kree or uh, I mean the Silver Surfer turns up at one point and he tries to absorb Ego and take him off the planet and then Quasar has to come and do it um, 
And it's basically, it's lots of plot, not much character. Um, but I found myself having a lot of fun with it. Like, it's it's basically one revelation after another going, oh, you thought it was this? No, it's that. That guy's actually involved. And I'm waiting, that guy's actually involved. And oh, what if we tell you that that guy's actually that guy? And, and it's just, there's lots of that. Uh, and I kept going, oh, huh, so that person's actually... Oh, no, it's, it's, it's not Ego, so it's... Uh, and, and in the end, I didn't really care, but I, I did have fun reading it. Um, and it was interesting reading Ego, the Living Planet here as, um, in contrast to what he is in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, um, he is kind of a a misunderstood baddie or a not all out and out baddie. Um, James compared him to Galactus, that makes a lot of sense, Um Ego is kind of this, he, he's been driven mad, I think, by the Supreme Intelligence and is uh, lonely and is kind of, the the destruction that he brings in the Dangerous Planet issue is not entirely his fault. Um, and when he's on Earth, he's literally just expanding on Earth to survive. Um, so he's kind of like a tragic character here, uh, but a bad guy, um, essentially just because of what he is forced to do. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't really digging into Ego as a character, but it was, uh, it was interesting seeing him depicted in a different way to the, uh, to the movie. And there's no kind of human form here. He is literally, well, uh, there's the brief baby form, but he is mostly planet, uh, mostly face on a giant orb throughout this. And lots of tentacles again, and lots of, uh, flying around the universe. Uh, Ego can move his entire planet here, which uh, I don't think is something he could do in Guardians of the Galaxy. I think he could just send his Kurt Russell form away. Um, But yeah, so that was Maximum Security, uh, which I enjoyed. Like I say, lots of plot, not much character, but the plot is fun. Um, And uh, I guess it could be fun to read that with all of the tie-ins, but I don't think you need them. I think I've got my fill of what I needed from those four issues. Uh, we'll move on to Rocket Raccoon now. Um, this is uh, written and drawn by Scotty Young, um, and I think there are other. Um, I think there are other artists as well. As you go on, uh, yeah, um, Scotty Young uh, stopped doing the art from issue six onwards, and uh, it is uh, Jake Parker who steps in for issue six, and then uh, from issue seven onwards. Uh, there is another artist again, uh, Felipe Andrade. Um, so Seb recommended that I should read the first five issues of this and then the uh, second issue of a Groot series um, from the following year. Um, I nearly got confused and read the wrong one. I almost read issue two of Rocket Raccoon and Groot, which is from 2016. Uh, but basically, So basically how this works is there is a, there is a 12-issue Rocket Raccoon series in 2014, uh, there is a solo Groot series in 2015, which I think lasts for six issues, and then a Rocket Raccoon and Groot series, which started in 2016. But yeah, so what I did was read the first six issues of the Groot series, and then the one-off uh, Groot issue two that James, uh, that Seb also recommended on our Guardians episode. Um, and basically, um, there's not a huge amount to say about this, other than that it is really, really fun. I mean, Scotty Young's artwork is... Uh, is perfect for this. Uh, the first four issue story arc um, at the start of Rocket Raccoon is it basically feels like Looney Tunes kind of stuff. Uh, like there is a, a big uh, epic shootout fight sequence at one point where the violence is just um, 
absolutely hilarious. Um, Rocket is a really fun character, very similar to how he is in the movies, that he is kind of quipping and he's angry and he's aggressive and he's he's kind of a, a good and a bad guy at the same time. Uh, but he's also kind of got some uh, trauma in his history and he's uh, he's kind of he's a bit bummed out about being the only member of his uh, kind. Um, and there is uh, a glimmer of hope at the start of this series um, in that he is framed for a series of murders um, and he takes himself into custody to kind of try. He allows himself to be captured so he can kind of find out what's been going on um, because there is uh, he believes that he has been uh, set up by someone who looks just like him. And so that means it's probably someone um, of his species. Um, I don't think I'll spoil the reveals of what's going on there. There is there is like two reveals at the end of issue four that um, play into that doppelganger stuff. Um, and I would just recommend reading to get into that. But it's it's really fun. And these issues take like three or four minutes to read each like that that is that's it um and in fact issue five takes even uh less time to read because it is an issue where aside from a couple of pages the only words uh spoken are i am groot um groot is a part of this series he's not quite as major as rocket um seb said it was kind of like it was a rocket and Groot series um and he's right, it is, but just by virtue of the characters that they are, um, if both characters are in the series, Rocket is probably going to dominate. Um, and issue five is just Rocket and Groot kind of like um, on a camping trip. Um, they look like they're like scout leaders. And there are like five alien kids who um, are being told bedtime stories around the campfire by Rocket and Groot. And Groot tells the, tells the story... Uh, throughout this issue which is just him saying i am groot while we see the stuff of, like unfold on the page in a series of panels and it's like rocket and groot searching for a treasure and kind of unlocking different little pieces that they need uh, that they need to fill in their puzzle to find this ultimate treasure um and again there's a fun little reveal at the end of the issue that i won't ruin um because uh, it's really funny. Um, and, but the, the, <laughs> there is a really cute part that one of these aliens is um, a kind of a leaf creature. And he understands everything that Groot says, which is uh, really sweet. Um, Jay, uh, Seb didn't recommend me to read issue six, but because I'd forgotten which issues he told me to read, I just kept reading up to issue six. Um, and I'm actually glad I did. I don't know whether this starts off the next arc or anything, or whether this is um, self-contained as well. Um, but I'm just going to uh, speak about it for the first couple of pages, which happen to feature um, an, an important character for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 again. Um Rocket is flying around a planet, firing missiles at these kind of giant bug creatures that are, um, are, uh, are crawling around on its surface. And when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Fires these missiles at them, turns, uh, finds the guy at the end who owes him the money for doing the job, gets paid, flies away, and as he's flying away, we see that the planet he's been on is Ego, and he says, see you, Ego, glad I could help you with your life's problem. And I thought that that was an absolutely genius gag involving uh, Ego. The rest of the issue uh, features uh, Cosmo, the, the the space dog that we met in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. Um, so yeah, lots of lots of fun little bits and pieces for but that tie into both Guardians films um, across these two uh, these two recommendations. And then the last issue that uh, Seb recommended we read, which was Groot issue two um, from a different series, uh, slightly more recent series. Um, again, a self-contained story, and um, again, really sweet and uh, really fun. This is uh, Groot, he seems to be lost in space. So again, you can read this in like five minutes because it's primarily just Groot speaking. Uh, Occasionally other people do speak, but it's just uh, such a fast read, um, which is why I think I'm probably going to read the rest of the Rocket Raccoon stuff and the Groot stuff and the Rocket and Groot stuff because it's so fun and yeah, uh, no kind of time burden whatsoever. Um, But this is Groot in this issue flashing back to when he was sent to prison and got thrown into solitary confinement with Rocket and Rocket kind of not wanting anything to do with him but Rocket kind of identifying a kindred spirit and try uh, Groot identifying a kindred spirit and trying to befriend Rocket um, and there's a really nice moment where Rocket stands up for Groot for the first time and where Rocket starts to understand what Groot is saying and Groot like cries with happiness because finally there's someone that understands him and um, I would say it's it's very inventive. I think more so in the comics than in the films that um, across all of these comics that Seb recommended here that you can kind of, when Groot is speaking, you can tell what he's saying most of the time. You can get a gist of what he's saying. Uh, it, I, I think they do a better job of it here than they do with Rocket in the movies filling in his sentences for him. Um, you'll, you'll, you get more of a sense of Groot as a character here. Um, and the friendship between Rocket and Groot is uh, is very sweet, and uh, I'm glad Seb recommended this single issue because it is uh, a whole heap of fun, and it basically ends with uh, Groot travelling back across the galaxy trying to find Rocket again um, after he's finished his flashback, um, but bumping into someone else instead. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, Rocket Raccoon and a single issue of Groot, which, again, I enjoyed a lot and uh, would recommend uh, readers at home pick up on. Um, I, sh- I mentioned this at the start, but 
all of these comics that we're talking about today are all available on Marvel Unlimited. So if you're an Unlimited subscriber, uh, that's probably the best and the most cost-effective way to do it, even if you just subscribe for a month and then cancel. Um, Okay, we'll move on now to the Avengers um, recommendations. And the big recommendation from our Avengers episode was the Ultimates. Um, And I'm going to leave that to last because I think it's the the meatiest one, the one that uh, is going to require the most getting into. Um, Seven James also said, if I could, to read some Astonishing X-Men. So I did. I read the first six issues of Astonishing X-Men, which is written by Joss Whedon and drawn uh, by John Cassidy. And uh, yeah, so this is, I believe, the series that picked up after the Grant Morrison New X-Men run. I think kind of the comic that replaced New X-Men. Um, obviously I only read the start of that so in terms of being thrown into um, X-Men continuity again um, I I was a little bit lost as to where it where it all fit together um, but vaguely had an idea of where I was um, but basically it seems like Professor X is alive I think but not like taking a sabbatical from the X-Men and he has left his school in the hands of Emma Frost um, Emma Frost is now in a relationship with Cyclops um, after the death of Jean Grey. Uh, Wolverine's not massively happy about that, um, but he is back and on the team as well. Uh, Kitty Pride is kind of our POV character. She comes back to the school and sees all this going on. And then there's Beast as well in the main team. Um, so the, this, this is the group of characters who are kind of our x-men team they're running the school but also they're investigating some uh strange goings on outside of the school um because there is a uh doctor who turns up uh dr kavita rao who announces that she has discovered a cure for the mutant gene and that any mutants who want to um who want to be cured of their mutation can uh sign up to uh have their mutation taken away basically uh, but it's complicated because there is also a warrior alien character called Ord who um, kind of starts some trouble that attracts the X-Men's attention at the same time as uh, Dr. Rao is making her announcement, uh, which leads to uh, the thought that they are kind of... Um, that the, the two things are connected, this warrior alien character and the mutant cure. Uh, spoiler, they are... Um, I won't massively get into how because I I didn't it's it's there's lots of uh complicated plotting and stuff. Um but yeah, I I I'm not sure that all of the the plot was the stuff that I was most interested in here. Um this felt to me just fun because it was uh, like a Joss Whedon TV show but in comic form. I felt like it took a, a few issues for him to find um to, to, to find his footing a little bit the first issue seemed very ambitious with some of the kind of uh the cutting between different scenes on the same page and um kind of uh I, yeah i would say formally ambitious and didn't quite uh land for me until i got a couple of issues in and kind of got to grips with who the characters were and where we were and what joss whedon was doing with the comic um but basically, once I got into it, I was really enjoying it. It was it was the stuff kind of like big scary villain confronts uh, innocent victims and that scene is undercut with a laugh but still plays out as genuinely terrifying. Uh, that kind of stuff was in there and um, 
complex characters who can go from making a joke one minute uh to uh to kind of feeling quite desperate and uh really identifiable i mean there's there's a character who uh turns up midway through this run that is quite significant to one of the other characters um and I, 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 again, I won't spoil who that is because I think uh, it's really it's the standout of this run when you read it when these characters meet each other again. Um, but I was really, I was really moved and touched by that part of the comic, despite not really knowing either of the characters and their history, other than I kind of knew that they had a a stronger connection in in the past in X Men. Uh, but I, I found it really hit home for me. Um, and also, there's lots of kind of like there's a really fun cliffhanger at the end of the at the end of the sixth issue, and it felt like a comic that after every issue you wanted to start reading the next one straight away because uh, it had you hooked. And not with I think sometimes, especially in Marvel comics, I find that there's like a there's a temptation to you get to the last page and you go oh, and it's this guy, and it's this villain, or it's that person, and you go, oh, okay, so that person's in the next issue, so that's why you want me to read the next issue. Um, I, I didn't feel like that was the way that this story was hugging me. I felt like it, it felt like uh, someone who had worked in TV who knew that at the end of every episode you had to want your viewers to come back and read the next one. Um, that feels like a more natural fit than even a, uh, a movie writer moving over and doing comics like tv writers you would assume uh are, are quite well positioned to go over and write successful comics uh just because of the nature of uh, their their episodic nature i guess um and yeah just just whedon does a really good job here um i wouldn't say i was like completely blown away by it or um like found it completely groundbreaking or uh, surprised me massively like some comics have in the past but it definitely had me hooked in and wanting to read more x-men and i would say more so than the grant morrison new x-men i think that this was once i had found my feet with it a couple of issues in that this was more my speed of uh of, of what i want from a comic um still even with this more modern stuff i still don't feel like i'm massively interested in the x-men in comics I'm I'm not sure why that is. I can't really explain it because I am interested in them in films. But I guess well, when this when this series starts with, oh, and we found a cure. I'm like, oh, that isn't that that's isn't the mutants not being mutants anymore? Isn't that like the setup for most X Men stories? It didn't feel particularly fresh or exciting. But I I don't know whether it did when the comic first came out. Oh, um, but I'm just reading out of the corner of my eye that the Mutant Cure plot was also the basis of the X-Men Last Stand movie, which I presume came after this comic, so maybe that's why it felt a bit too familiar. Um, uh, but yeah, I, in spite of all of that, those kind of other reservations about the, the setup for the plot and the and, and the, very, the very fact that it's an X-Men comic, um, I still find myself enjoying this a lot. And I do wonder whether I should at some point sit down and maybe read from the start of Grant Morrison's X-Men run to the end of Joss Whedon's. Uh, or I think uh, I think Warren Ellis finished off this run, so maybe maybe that's where I should go up to. Um, I don't know. Uh, definitely current X-Men comics don't appeal to me, um, so I'd probably have to cherry-pick the good ones from the past. And uh, this, this certainly, more than the 90s stuff that James has recommended, feels like somewhere that I could jump in. Um, but we'll move on to our final recommendation now, and this is this is kind of the big one. Uh, Thirteen issues, the Ultimates. Um, this was written by Mark Miller and drawn by uh, art by Brian Hitch. Um, 
And yes, this is the Ultimate Universe take on the Avengers. Um, and I was um, absolutely uh, enraptured by this comic. Um, I can't say that I always enjoyed it. And I can't say that if I'd have been reading it at the time, it would have been what I wanted to see from these characters. Uh, but reading it as kind of a product of 2002, which is when it was released, a product of Marvel reimagining its characters and of Mark Miller basically taking all of the the big gunners from the Marvel Universe, uh, the like the the key members of the Avengers team, like the Avengers team that is that is there in the Avengers movie are all in this comic. Uh, so we've got Captain America, we've got Thor, we've got the Incredible Hulk, we've got Iron Man, we've got Hawkeye, we've got Black Widow, um, there's also Giant Man and the Wasp, um, and Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch have some pretty funny brief cameos uh, turning up a couple of times um, over the course of it. And, oh, oh, well, we're going to pause from the Ultimates for a second, listeners. Breaking news on the Megasode. Um, I've just seen a tweet from the Cinematic Universe account. Uh, the, the Hollywood Reporter has confirmed that Anna, um, Anya Taylor-Joy and Maisie Williams will be starring in the Josh Boone-directed New Mutants movie. Um, Maisie Williams is playing Wolfsbane. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy is playing Magic and Sunspot Cannonball and Warlock are the other characters. So, as we thought, the news uh, from like last year at this point... Uh, has been confirmed. They're the characters that we're seeing in a New Mutants movie. Hey, that was fun, wasn't it? Breaking news on the Megasode. Uh, But back to the Ultimates. Um, So, yes, uh, this is Mark Miller being very, very cynical about a super team of um, American heroes. Um, All of these characters are American, I think, apart from Thor. uh, And probably Black Widow, I'd imagine. Uh, So... What I'll do is kind of uh, break down how how things start. Issue one is a flashback to Captain America in uh, World War Two and setting off on a mission. And it kind of sets the tone in that Captain America, I think, is potentially the biggest arsehole of this bunch. And I don't know whether this is Mark Miller kind of like... Well, no, I don't think it is because... You could make the argument that Mark Miller is saying, look, Captain America is from a different era where he was kind of a poster boy for the US Army uh, coming in and saving the day. And and wouldn't he be like some kind of jockey prick? Uh, but you, there's like a big splash page here where Captain America bursts onto the battlefield and says, what are you waiting for, ladies? Christmas. Um, and there's a lot of the, that kind of like casual sexism from this character there's the line about uh you think the a on my helmet stands for france in one of the very last issues um when it's suggested that he might surrender um and he he just comes off as a complete jerk uh, in in this flashback issue where he's taking on um some kind of nazi hydra affiliated bad guys um We then come back to New York, and in the second issue, we meet Nick Fury and Bruce Banner, and uh, they talk about how they're kind of assembling this team. Um, I think at this point, from what they say, the only other um, superheroes that have been established in the Ultimate Marvel Universe are the X-Men and Spider-Man, and that they are both, uh, like, widely despised in in the Ultimate universe uh by the public and that the idea is that nick fury is going to put together this superhero team 
that is liked by the public. Um, and so he is trying to get Bruce Banner to recreate the uh, super soldier serum uh, so they can create a new Captain America. Uh, this is before they find out that Captain America is in the ice, that they can revive him and they've got one. Uh, but that's the idea. And so Bruce Banner is kind of working on that. He's become the Hulk before, but he's kind of uh, kind of managed to cure it and he's kept it at bay. And this Hulk is a like a, a proper villain. There's no kind of two ways about it in this. He is a, he is a, a wrong one. Um, we'll we'll get to more on the Hulk, um, but also working for Nick Fury's team are um, Hank Pym and uh, uh, is it Janet Pym? I think it is. Yeah, um, who uh, are Ant Man slash Giant Man and the Wasp, um, and they are part of the team, and they're also working um, on the science. Bruce Banner is this very jealous guy who is not really liking that there are other people working on this whatsoever. Um, we we then meet Iron Man, who is kind of he is a perpetual drunk superhero, um, who I think in this is terminally ill. He has a brain tumor or something. He reveals at some point. I'm not sure what the relevance of that was. I guess that that was to do with the drinking and the uh, doing something different than just profiteering off his business. I think that might be another bit of Mark Miller cynicism of like, look, what would it take for a multi billionaire in t- in terms of a who's running an uh, an arms company to decide that he wants to be good and dress up in his suit and do good for the rest of the world it probably is something like he's terminally ill and he's he's been forced to reassess things um so all of these characters are kind of brought onto uh onto this team uh but it's a very very artificially created team like there's no one specifically for them to fight they've been put together for pr purposes and like the way that they are sold to the public is very PR driven. Um, uh, Betty Hulk's Betty um, is uh, Betty Ross, isn't it? She is brought in as kind of a PR consultant to sell the idea of the Ultimates to the outside world. Um, and uh, yeah, so eventually Captain America wakes up and they kind of put together the team. Um, Bruce Banner has essentially failed because. Um, Captain America's returned and he hasn't been able to recreate the super soldier serum. Um, so there are no extra, there are no extra like people to fight alongside Cap. Basically their team is Iron Man, Giant Man, um, the Wasp and Captain America. They don't have Thor because Thor is kind of a, uh, he's a European kind of hippie peacenik character who, um, is very anti-violence um, and like he is the actual god of thunder, but he is not really keen on the U.S. and their warmongering what they want to do. And the only way that he will agree to uh, turn up and fight with the Ultimates if and when they need him is if they like if the U.S. agrees to uh, put a load of funding out into the rest of the world. Um, I've also skipped over a part where Captain America meets George W. Bush. So George W. Bush in this comic that is coming out in 2002 is very specifically the president here and captain america salutes him and it's i i i can imagine it's a weird moment to look on right now um it it must have been an even weirder comics moment in 2002 uh but again i think that's um mark miller's kind of cynical like hey look captain america whether he's an asshole or not in, in this version that i'm writing 
he's basically a guy that just fights for his country and it doesn't matter whether their country's right or wrong or whatever and here's president bush and he's gonna salute the president and say he'll do anything that the president wants because that's what they that's what america's symbol does um it's it's very uncomfortable to to uh see that but i think it's a very interesting take on the captain america character um it's obviously, I think, a little bit uh, symbolic of what Captain America: The Winter Soldier does with Steve Rogers finding his his way in the uh, in the current world and the way that they've progressed that character to uh, what he does in Civil War. Um, I don't think this version of Captain America would ever get to the point that the movie version of Captain America does in Civil War. He would he would fight for the for the law of the land no matter what happens. Um, but it's it's very interesting to see how these characters have been reimagined by Mark Miller in this in this setting that does feel like Seven James said, like more of an inspiration for the movies than the traditional versions. But in a way that is like, how would these characters exist in the modern day world? And then what the movies did was create more wholesome, outwardly heroic versions of these characters. The flaws are still there, but the flaws are smaller. So, like, the Tony Stark here, who is, like, just a cad and a drunk and doesn't really care about anything, uh, he used to run an arms company. Like, yeah, that's there in the movies, but the the heroism is what wins out. And uh, Thor is, you know, he's going to go and fight for what's right, no matter what country wants him, wants him involved or whatever. Um, and he's probably not going to betray his principles because the country has agreed to send some more money to somewhere else in the world. Um, I mean, we giant man is probably the biggest jerk of all. Uh, uh, that's probably too light a word. Giant man, Hank Pym in this, uh, in this comic viciously beats, uh, his wife, Janet, who's probably the character that comes out of this, the best in that there's nothing like outwardly horrible about her character. Um, I I do think it's a shame that probably her defining moment in this series is uh, is being beaten by her husband. Um, but it's like it's a really nasty, malevolent thing where like she shrunk down and he sent he sets his ants on her and nearly kills her. Um, and he says, "You shouldn't have made me feel small, Jan." I mean, this is basically I think Mark Miller taking the the kind of the grimmest aspects of all these characters from their history in the mainstream Marvel universe and bringing them over into this, into this comic and going wham, bam, look at all this spectacular, but also look what arseholes they are. Um, I don't particularly like Mark Miller's current brand of cynicism. And I, I think I would, I, I think I would struggle reading this comic in, uh, in the present day, if I'd have just come across it um, and kind of didn't didn't have some of the other context around it and didn't have going in a, a kind of a knowledge that this was a cynical take on these characters from Mark Miller, because if it was if this was just Mark Miller turning up with a fresh take and I didn't know that coming in, I was like, oh, why is he? Make... <laughs> this is the worst take on all of these characters. It's horrible. Um, but what it ends up being is, uh, I, I think, a very interesting deconstruction of some of the more problematic uh, aspects of a lot of these characters. Um, the Hulk, when the Hulk goes off, is basically, uh, I don't know, like, uh, basically almost like rape fueled. Like, everything is very sexual with him. Um, he is uh, driven by... Uh, Freddie Prince Jr. is out on a date with 
Betty Ross in this in the comic where the Hulk releases himself for the first time. Um, I mean, to go back to Bruce Banner being an an asshole, and like we know that Bruce Banner experiments on himself in the Marvel comics. In this comic, he experiments on himself. Uh, specifically in this issue to bring out the Hulk so he can go and finally be something for the Ultimates to fight. I mean, so literally the first main thing that the Ultimates fight in this comic is the Hulk because he's essentially done it so they will have someone to fight. (laughs) So that the Ultimates as a concept can exist. Um, And that's when Thor turns up uh, to help out. Uh, and, And yeah, in the second big kind of action climax at the back half of these uh, comics uh, like towards the uh, the 12th and the 13th issues um, there is a Winter Soldier-esque takedown of S.H.I.E.L.D. from within uh, by a I'm not sure whether it is actually specifically Hydra or whether it's just uh, I think it's like there's a suggestion that it's like not even a suggesting a suggestion that it's uh, that they're all Chitauri um, so they are kind of like Chitauri aliens who have shapeshifted and uh, ingrained themselves into society and taken down um, S.H.I.E.L.D. from within, but that it's been going back to the war and that the Nazi that Captain America was fighting back in World War Two was a Chitauri back then as well. Um, I- I'm not sure why, but again, I guess the Chitauri is the main villain at the end of the Ultimates. is something that made its way over to uh, the Avengers. Uh, but yeah, in that final showdown when the Hulk is unleashed again, uh, he is uh, motivated by Captain America by Captain America telling him that the Chitauri had been calling him a sissy, um, and that's that's when he he goes after them and goes mad and takes out the Nazi that Captain America had been fighting from the Second World War by eating him. Um, so it's it's pretty grim in spots it's really dark like I, like I keep saying it's really cynical but it's a very interesting read to imagine uh, as i say in the context of this comic coming out during the kind of american foreign policy that there was a fallout from 9/11 mark miller writing this comic book um and turning a lot of these american icons of of the comics into jerks uh, but jerks who eventually are kind of going out there and fighting to protect you and to save you, uh, even if even if they're not particularly good guys themselves, um, and ultimately getting the job done, but with a lot of collateral damage. Um, I'm sure that there is some really interesting takes on this comic that I would like to go out and read. I'm sure that the art that the internet is is filled with. Uh, analysis of the ultimates um i found it more interesting from that kind of cynical deconstruction of these characters i found it more interesting from that aspect than i did for how it set up the avengers i think but it's very clear how the marvel cinematic universe kind of took this idea of these characters in the modern day uh this fresh take on them in the modern day and kind of softened what Mark Miller was doing here to still have heroes operating within this story. Um, one thing I will add, um, I got we got a very uh, funny tweet on the at CU podcast account um, yesterday uh, from um, Alistair Mitchell, who said that he was really glad that the podcast had got him to read the Ultimates, uh, but man, do very time specific pop culture references age badly. And yes, that is such a great point. 
um, which I might have forgotten to bring up, but this comic makes, uh, like I say, Freddie Prince Jr. turns up at one point. There is a scene where they're all sitting around talking about who would play them in the movie versions, and um, some of the characters who do show up in the Avengers, like Sam Jackson is mentioned as the Nick Fury. Um, someone suggests, um, I think it's uh, Steve Buscemi for um, for Hulk, which he overhears and takes badly. Um, and yeah, I, yeah there is some of the pop culture references are fun and they and they uh, are still relevant when you're reading now but there are some other ones that absolutely clang and go this comic was written in the early 2000s um so yeah that's fun <laughs> that's fun as well good and bad uh, they are fun to read uh, but yeah, I would honestly recommend anyone go out and read The Ultimates if you haven't. I'm sure you all have, um, and that I'm the one who's late to the party here. I've just been waiting for Seven James to recommend it on the podcast. Um, but it is fascinating, if not always enjoyable, because it's difficult to read these characters that you kind of inherently like as their their worst versions. Um, like I said in the last podcast, I know that kind of Ultimate Reed Richards turned evil, and uh, there's, and I know that the the uh, further versions of the Ultimates uh, were pretty negatively received and went some down some pretty dark paths as well. Um, but this twelve issues is like a really really propulsively written story. Um, in in that not not a lot of plot is happening for a lot of the time, so you're just kind of examining the way that this team would be put together um, and the and, and why this team would be put together and how these and what would motivate these different characters what what they would be like in this situation in a in a more realistic world um all of that stuff is fascinating um but that is it for this week's show don't forget that our next episode will be focused on x-men 2 or x2 x-men united or one of the various horrible titles that this film had um i will stick with either x2 or x-men 2 i, I can't go with x-men united um <laughs> Sounds like a football team, doesn't it? Um, if you're enjoying this show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. And you can support us on Patreon by heading to patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. You can find more episodes of the show at cinematicmultiverse.com. And you can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter at cu underscore podcast. Or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.